you were part of the conservative colonial establishment lording it over the Indios in Spain's faraway colony in the Far East, three things might have gotten your church-going goat at a party in Malacanang Palace in 1869. First, it turns out all the chismes is true. Your fresh-off-the-boat governor-general was one of those liberal softies. I mean, just look at that guest list, packed full of wannabe subversives. Second, the governor-general had brought a woman with him. Not just any woman, a gasp, married woman. Were the two having an affair? Que horror! And last and perhaps worst of all was what this woman was wearing. Hanging over her hair and her dress like snakes of the Medusa were blood-red ribbons with the words Viva la Libertad, which meant Long Live Liberty, and Viva la Pueblo Soberano, which meant Long Live the Sovereign Nation. This was beyond scandalous. This was borderline treasonous. The Indians would see those ribbons and start getting, you know, ideas. You must have fanned yourself vigorously then, not just because Manila was hot and humid, Manila was always hot and humid, but a strange new wind was blowing in from Madrid and it smelled tantalizingly of freedom. The thing was, many in Manila didn't particularly like the smell. Welcome to a new season of the Colonial Department. This is the podcast where we take long-lost stories from Philippine history and bring them to life. In this episode, we examine one Governor-General's mysterious romance. This is Season 5, Episode 1, The Governor-General's Love Affair. Let's time travel one year in the past. Spain, 1868. An unpopular queen, an overbearing aristocracy, a repressive government, a church that was rigid, reactionary, and reliant on the crown. The Spanish had had enough. Liberals, radicals, progressives, and disgruntled military officers allied together in a revolt that ultimately kicked Queen Isabella II out of her throne. The Spanish call the uprising La Gloriosa, the Glorious Revolution. This name wasn't just Hispanic hyperbole. As a scholar wrote, The glorious revolution reverberated across the world with the exhilaration that freedom was possible now. True, this wasn't the first time anti-monarchists had taken over. Also true, it continued the work of that foundational Spanish democratic text, the 1812 Cadiz Constitution. And also, also true, the revolution would later dissolve into bitter factional infighting. But at the time it happened, La Gloriosa was a blast of genuinely democratic fresh air. Consider the constitution that came in its wake. It stood for the right to vote. It stood for the separation of church and state. It stood for the freedom of every person to choose whatever religion and whatever faith they wanted. To understand the gale force winds of change that were sweeping through Spain and the Philippines in the 1800s, let's first take a detour to a long straight road just off the northeast side of the University of Santo Tomas. Bye. 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 Bye.
audio from a student research project conducted in Pimargal Street and uploaded to YouTube in 2014. Streets named P something something are a dime a dozen in Manila. P Naval, P Gomez, P Paterno, P Guevara, and so on and so forth. The P in those street names stands for Padre or Pedro. But the P in Pimargal isn't an abbreviation. It's an actual name. P-I space Y space M-A-R-G-A-L-L. In most Manila street maps, the name P. Margal is misspelled. The conjunction Y is glued onto the first name P, and the double L of the second name Margal becomes a single L. But even the botched spelling can't detract from the honor of naming a Manila street after a Spanish philosopher who, in his later years, became a friend of Jose Rizal. The man the street was named after, Francisco P. Margal, was born in 1824 and in the 19th century, he was one of Spain's most important intellectuals. He believed that all of Spanish history was leading to the moment when the power of kings and queens would break apart against an inexorable, inevitable, and permanent revolution. Sovereignty would then cease to belong to a sovereign. It would be decentralized and passed on to the people. In an age of absolutism, this was absolutely mind-melting. One scholar wrote, As statesman, political theoretician, and founder of the Republican Federal Party, P. Margal consistently identified himself all at once as liberal, socialist, and anarchist. When the Glorious Revolution succeeded in kicking out Queen Isabella II, P. Margal returned from self-imposed exile and became one of the framers of the 1869 Constitution. Here's where the Philippines gets the short shrift. Fifty or so years before La Gloriosa, Las Islas Filipinas and the other Spanish overseas colonies won representation in the Cortes or the Spanish Parliament. The 1869 constitution, however, walked this back and returned the colonies to their original Leyes de Indias or Laws of the Indies. Liberals in the colony might have worried that La Gloriosa was a case of one step forward and two steps back. But still, they held out hope. The storm of democracy stirring up Madrid would surely make its way to Manila. It was in this expectant atmosphere that Carlos Maria de la Torre arrived as the 82nd Governor General of the Philippines. De la Torre was a rebel ringleader and had been involved in many uprisings against the crown inside and outside Spain. Progressives in the Philippines were certain that he would bring the same revolutionary energy to the archipelago. Hi, this is Leo, creator of the Colonial Department. Sorry to interrupt your listening, I just want to formally welcome you to a brand new season of the podcast. And with a brand new season comes a brand new channel for the pod. Yes, the Colonial Department is now up on TikTok. Follow us there for history book talk recommendations, as well as behind-the-scenes peaks of the podcast. Thanks. And now, let's get back to some more Philippine history. From the moment of his arrival, De La Torre seemed intent on giving conservatives the conniptions. He set free prisoners by issuing a general pardon. He outlawed flogging as a form of punishment. He mingled with the locals and welcomed liberals and secular priests into Malacanang. He sent off a clear signal that he'd be a different kind of governor general, offering an encouraging hand rather than a clenched fist. 
as a historian wrote, When De La Torre first arrived in the Philippines, he showed himself to be friendly and on equal terms with the Peninsulares, the Criolos, Mestizos, and even the few Indios who by then had reached the Ilustrado class. When the La Gloriosa Constitution was ratified, he threw open the doors of his Riverside Palace in a celebration banquet. As a military man, De La Torre displayed his medals while the guests had on their best European-style clothes. By his side, welcoming the leading lights of the Philippine liberal movement into his home was a woman with ribbons on her hair. Carlos Maria De La Torre was single, but Maria de Losario Gili Montes de Sanchez was not. She was married to an artillery officer, but here she was at the Governor General's side with messages on her dress openly praising liberty and the sovereign nation. No wonder there were rumors that the two had a thing going on. The senora already had a history of being outspoken. She wrote poems and articles for a newspaper and to the consternation of the friars, had even published her own book. At the party, she served sweets and refreshments and then read a speech that alluded to dangerous, subversive ideas. Her role in conjuring up the reformist and revolutionary spirit was so unexpected and so influential that she later got the name La Madre de Filipinos or Mother of the Filipinos. But the shocks of the night were not yet over. Governor General De La Torre announced that his government would tear down the statue of Queen Isabella II inside Intramuros. For a military leader who had helped oust the Queen, the demolished monument would be a very symbolic act of De La Torre's reign. Unfortunately, De La Torre's announcement was a bridge too far for the conservatives in the colonial government. Officials refused to comply with the demolition order. Eventually, as a compromise, the statue ended up inside the Ayuntamiento. Queen Isabella II intact, but out of the public eye. Later in his life, De La Torre called it one of the most unpopular decisions of his entire career. Since we're now talking about his legacy, it's fair to ask this question. Was Carlos Maria De La Torre as sympathetic to the cause of Indian liberation as his reputation makes him out to be more than a hundred years after his tenure as Governor General of the Philippines? On the one hand, he was known to journalists as a proven liberal and sincere radical during his younger days. As governor general, he also openly championed individual rights. But remember, he was still a Spanish colonizer. While he smiled and shook the hands of those liberal priests and merchants and mestizos, behind their back, De La Torre ordered their mail intercepted and monitored. He wrote back to his superiors in Madrid, confirming that he was keeping an eye out for any treasonous activity, especially among the Philippine-born Spaniards who were advocating for independence. And what of that party in the palace with Senora de Sanchez and the ribbons in her hair? Historian Augusto de Viana makes this extraordinary accusation. When De La Torre hosted that fateful party toasting to liberalism, Many of the Filipino intellectuals came into the open and also those who had gripes with the government and those suggesting changes. De La Torre had all of them identified and forwarded the information to his successor, Rafael de Izquierdo.
So, as with many questions in history, the truth of Carlos Maria de la Torre's love affair with the Philippine liberal movement is not so black and white. Isn't it possible that a man could both be a liberal reformer and a staunch colonizer? Isn't it possible that a man could toy with the idea of human rights with one hand and open the mail of suspected subversives with the other? Or that a man could believe in both the power of liberty and the power of Spanish rule? What is clear is that Governor General de la Torre's reign was remembered as a calm before the storm because his successor Rafael de Izquierdo brought the hammer back down against the Philippines. If de la Torre was a velvet glove, Izquierdo was the iron fist. He rolled back all the reforms and freedoms of de la Torre's tenure and after an explosive revolt, kick-started a witch hunt that would eventually lead to the arrest and execution of three priests. On the day the Garot broke the necks of Fathers Gomez, Burgos, and Zamora, the trajectory of a young boy's life was forever changed, and he would later grow up to embody the same spirit of liberty that animated the reformists and revolutionaries that shaped the 19th century. The boy's name, Jose P. Rizal. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Colonial Department. Find us on Instagram and TikTok for more history, behind-the-scenes, and non-fiction book recommendations. Liu Mangubat wrote, narrated, and produced this episode. Anya Ong Reyes read quotations from sources. Audio of P. Margal Street was taken from a YouTube video uploaded by Martha Mina. References for this episode are 1. A biography of Carlos Maria de la Torre, published in Real Academia de la Historia. 2. An account of the party from Stephanie Koo's book, Clothing the Colony, and Ambeth Ocampo's book, Looking Back. 3. Scholarly articles from George Asenero, Renate Simpson, and Willard Smith. And 4. Facebook posts from the Ayala Museum and Augusto de Viana. <laughs>